thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 76. You may have noticed that we are a bit outside our regular three-week rotation for new episodes, but the second semester of freshman year is pretty dense about these parts, so our schedule may continue to vary. This week, we explore another poem about love, although not an unusual love this time. Even though this poem has a lurking, potentially evil presence in it, the poem describes a simple love that is likely familiar to parents. It is familiar to me, as it is likely familiar to my own parents. It seems appropriate, then, that my own mother reads our poem this week, which is titled Mother Talks Back to the Monster, by Carrie Shipers. It was originally published by North American Review in 2015, although I found it shared on Twitter in December of 2022. Before we get to our next poem, we must first revisit What I Didn't Know Before by Ada Limon. It is read by me this time. Ada Limon, What I Didn't Know Before Was how horses simply give birth to other horses. Not a baby by any means, not a creature of liminal spaces, but a four-legged beast hell-bent on walking, scrambling after the mother. A horse gives way to another horse, and then suddenly there are two horses, just like that. That's how I loved you. You off the long train from Red Bank, carrying a coffee as big as your arm, a bag with two computers swinging in it unwieldily at your side. I remember we broke into laughter when we saw each other. What was between us wasn't a fragile thing to be coddled, cooed over. It came out fully formed, ready to run. A significant number of students read this poem, and the love being described here is one of romantic and like new, explosive, passionate love, that kind of thing. With one student writing that the poem What I Didn't Know Before by Ada Limon uses an analogy of horses to emphasize the spontaneous nature of the relationship the poem describes, and another extending that the poem portrays how quickly the two fell in love, as their love came out fully formed, ready to run. This relates to the analogy of horses as their bodies are already strong and practically complete when they are born, meaning the moment they met, their love became unconditional. Along this path is a student who writes that the fact that a baby horse goes after its mother fully formed, ready to run, is the same way the speaker's love was fully formed when she fell in love and followed her heart. A student writes that the poem states it came out fully formed, implying that their love for each other, like a horse, was complete from the beginning. And one last along this line, the student notes that a four-legged beast hell-bent on walking, and notes that since she is saying that their relationship didn't start as a little baby and came out as almost a full-grown horse, it shows how quick she fell in love with the listener. The speaker didn't have time to think about it and let it grow. It just came out as big and sudden feeling. Our writing task for last week asked that students include a telegraphic sentence, which is a short sentence of five words or fewer. And I liked some of these. One of them that I really liked along this romantic new love line is this brief sentence that just says, their love did not hesitate. It's a great line. It's punchy, it's direct, and this is something that telegraphic sentences are really great for. They're wonderful at emphasizing the big ideas after you kind of laid them out and explored them. Now, it wasn't just this new love thing. There was also the focus on the past tense and what that might mean for this relationship. A student writes that when the speaker said, that was how I loved you, we could perceive that using the keyword loved could mean that this person refers to someone 
in the past. And another person notes that I remember adds on to this. They say this makes me think that it was some sort of breakup or divorce. And there were a few students who explored the significance of that past tense. And one, they used a short, punchy sentence again to explore that past tense, suggest that they, the reason we get all of this exploration of this moment is because, quoting the student, attachment is a curse, by which they extend that it's something that doesn't leave you. It's something that you hold on to even after you're separated. But not everyone saw this relationship as one that had ended. Another writes that she also recited memories with the listener, which did not communicate to me that something bad must have happened. The student writes that, while that's how I loved you does give the feeling of love, its tone is also vulnerable and emotional. And I think this is really important because that vulnerability here doesn't necessarily suggest that some great hurt has happened, even if we maybe suggest weakness or suggest potential hurt in that vulnerability. And I think it's part of this word that leaves some students to explore this other idea, which is the relationship to the speaker and innocence in this poem. One student writes that they related her to a horse giving birth, which could signify the innocence of the person the speaker is referring to. Because innocence comes at the beginning of life, this student suggests that the listener may be the mother's child, with the speaker being the mother. Not everyone was on board with this. Another writes that, I do not think she was referring to a child. Off the long train from Red Bank carrying a coffee proves it since you would not see a child coming off a train with coffee in their hand. Another is a bag with two computers swinging in it unwieldily. It is not typically what you see from a child. And this is a really important point. Sometimes we think we see a reading in a poem that maybe doesn't test against all the other aspects of the poem. That doesn't mean our initial reading, that idea of innocence, is not usable. Another student notes that Limon uses innocent diction used to normally describe a baby to tell us what the baby horse or relationship isn't. Fragile, coddled, cooed are some innocent and baby-related terms. Then she goes on to tell us how the relationship is fully formed, ready to run, which is the direct opposite of the previous diction. Another writes that broke into laughter when we saw each other, points to this being a memory of them doing an innocent action or in a situation. And related is a student who writes that she says her relationship wasn't a fragile thing to be coddled, cooed over, which I think is another metaphor, not to be taken literally. It meant that the bond didn't need to be treated as a baby or something fragile because it was strong. Now, there are a number of reasons why people might look back and reflect on a moment as precious and important to this. One that I imagine that I don't think anyone brought up was the possibility of maybe two people getting married and they're reflecting on the moment when they just knew. But I actually don't know that this is, in my reading, a romantic love, but a friendly one. And a student saw this in a similar way to me that I thought I would point out. They write that when the author and the listener see each other, they broke into laughter. This part helps by supporting the fact that the bond between them isn't just lovey-dovey, but it's a friendship. And I think this is key. And it's not just it's a and it's not a new friendship either. It's one that's existed, as a few students explore. One writes that it doesn't tell us what kind of love exactly. To figure out how this is a relationship between two people, we can look at the way the speaker and listener react when they see each other. The speaker remembers the way they 
broke into laughter when they saw each other, which I believe is a reaction that those in a relationship would most likely have to seeing each other again after a while being apart. Another says, Not a baby by any means meant that they were not strangers to each other and were very close and unbreakable. I remember we broke into laughter when we saw each other shows that they knew that there was something to laugh about or that they were delighted to see each other again. Along this line is a student who says, Noticing minute details like the coffee and two computers in a bag signify that their love is getting up, getting stronger, as they see each other again. They break out laughing when they see each other, where the love between them is whole and ready for new experiences after being reunited. And I think this is true, and it makes sense for this to be a friendship where you just, it's the moment in a friendship where you realize, oh my goodness, this might be my favorite person, and I'm so happy to have them. And with that context in mind, the things that are really essential about this, the things that drive students, I think, to see this as a romantic, passionate, strong love, is that the strength of the love in this poem is really essential. A student writes that not a baby by any means can mean that the relationship isn't at the early parts anymore, but the strong and deep parts. Another says that not a creature of liminal spaces shows that their connection came out very formed and already constructed, instead of being ambiguous. And another notes simply that the poem shows the intensity of this relationship. And it's also one that lasts. Although their love is really strong, ready to run proves that their love will continue to grow like a healthy young horse. Another says, when the poem says ready to run, it could mean that their love will always be going on and on and that they will always be ready for each other. This time, while I didn't have a lot of students who wanted to explore structure, I did have a couple interesting explorations of the title and how it functions structurally, which I think still counts. One student writes that starting the poem with the title is similar to horses being born because the start of a horse is really before the start of the horse, meaning that a horse is developed before being born. Another similarity is the awkwardness. When horses are first born, they try hard to be able to walk, but they don't do it perfectly the first time. We could see this awkwardness when the listener is reminded of when they got off the train carrying a coffee as big as their arm, and a bag with two computers swinging in it unwieldily. I really like this idea. There is kind of an awkwardness in starting a poem with the title, because as a reader, you don't initially think to do that. You start the poem, and you think, wait a second, this doesn't quite make sense, and then you see how to read it. Then you see how to work through it, how to start it. And yeah, I like the, the acknowledgement of that awkwardness and how it maybe it really serves a purpose here. I have to admit, when I got into this, I read this pretty specifically as a friendship being described. And I was actually a little surprised at the suggestion of romantic love and the past tense. And I wonder if that is a result of just being older and having more opportunities to step away from people and to come back to them and be delighted by their presence again. But I do think that the process we went through of considering romantic love, considering divorce, considering a mother and child, the things that make those relationships essential and important and possibilities in our reading here are also the things that make a friendship the most likely relationship for this poem. It's the passion, it's the strength, it's the innocence, it's the reflection on shared moments. All of those things, I think, together point in the direction of a friendship that is just so welcome and so needed sometimes. Our next poem is Mother Talks Back to the Monster. I'm interested in how this poem opens, anchoring the speaker in place and time with tonight. 
This opening word and the placement of the poem within a particular moment might make it part of a genre of poems called occasional poems. They have a history of being written to document or reflect on events that have significant value to large populations, but even small intimate moments can be occasions that matter. Maybe just a woman and an old invisible adversary, for example. There are other things I like too. The whole first sentence is so ordinary, as are a number of the details of the poem. Poems where the ordinary is imbued with additional meaning are where poetry really excels for me. We get a bunch of interesting imagery here, including some that we've mentioned in passing, like olfactory, gustatory, and kinesthetic imagery. And students not remembering what these are should consider asking me about them in class. Oh, an interesting placement of childish dangers and parental dangers in the middle of the poem. Because of how close they are together, I can't help but compare the two. Maybe above all, I love how there is so much that is real in the poem. And this is a poem about things that are imagined, or just felt. With any luck, students will find things they enjoy about this poem too, and then dig in deep, exploring and interpreting. Those students who are giving this a full listen, be sure not to spend too much time summarizing what the mother of the poem is trying to say. I don't think the poem is especially unclear about this point. Instead, be sure that you make and support a claim about something that really requires proof. Our writing task this week requires that students include two quotations in a single sentence. To earn the point, these quotations must be smoothly embedded and the sentence needs some commentary in it. If you keep those quotations short, this will be far easier. If you need help, consider reviewing the Quoting Effectively packet I provided last semester or review the Using Quotations document I have attached to this assignment in Google Classroom. For our secret passphrase, I want you to use the word ordinary. I will accept it as a portion of the word extraordinary as well. It seems appropriate to me that for this poem, my mother, Lori, is our reader. I actually got the idea to have her read for this episode, not because the poem is about mothers and sons, although that does make perfect sense, but because just last week my sister shared a poem she found that my mom must have written when she was a girl. It is about a unicorn, and in complete honesty, I love it. The unicorn she writes about is kind of metal, with a symphonic voice and hooves of fire. That is a direct quote, by the way. Hooves of fire. Here is Mother Talks Back to the Monster by Carrie Shipers. My mom provides the reading. Mother Talks Back to the Monster by Carrie Shipers. Tonight I dressed my son in astronaut pajamas, kissed his forehead, and tucked him in. I turned on his nightlight and looked for you in the closet and under the bed. I told him you were nowhere to be found, but I could smell your breath, your musty fur. I remember all your tricks, the jagged shadows on the wall, clicks of your claws, the hand that hovered just above my ankles if I left them exposed. Since I became a parent, I see danger everywhere. Unleashed dogs, sudden fevers, cereal two days out of date. And even worse than feeling so much fear is keeping it inside, trying not to let my love become so tangled with anxiety, my son thinks they're the same. When he says he's seen your tail or heard your heavy step, I insist you aren't real. Soon he'll feel too old to tell me his bad dreams. If you get lonely after he's asleep, you can always come downstairs. I'll be sitting at the kitchen table with the dishes I should wash, crumbs I should wipe up. We can drink hot tea and talk about the future, how hard it is to be outgrown. 
A paragraph responding to this prompt is due on the Friday that ends this week, and your two replies to the other students are due the Wednesday after. Students, be sure to use ordinary in some form for a secret passphrase. For a writing task, include two quotations in a single sentence. Don't forget to make use of our previous writing tasks as well. We've had a lot of them at this point, and they are all good advice. A strong analytical paragraph requires a quality claim. Starting with a tag, a how, and a what will make that more likely. Use the author's last name by itself if you want to talk about them, especially if you're talking about the structure of the poem. There is, again, a speaker here. That's the I of the poem, and the monster is the listener, the you of the poem. Use varied sentence openings and varied sentence lengths. We've got a lot of sentences that continue from one line to the next, so you may need to use a single forward slash to indicate a line break if you quote across one. Only one sentence in the entire poem ends on the same line it starts on, actually. Now that I look closely. Huh. There's only one stanza here, though, so you will not be needing double slashes. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, want to provide a reading, or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 76 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things you yourself find quite excellent.